And we are back, baby. Welcome to Jeremiah Wonders. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And if it's not a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening for you, then let's make it right now a good one. What do you say? Welcome to the show. Kevin Nealon is our guest today. It's a fun one. If you're a Saturday Night Live fan, if you're a fan of the show Weeds, if you're just a fan of comedy or stand-up in general, or just a fan of good people, this episode is gonna be right up your alley. I had a lot of fun talking with Kevin here at my place. I've been uh, recording the show out of my apartment lately, and it was awesome, man. Had some pizza with him before the show. And we just got into it. I tried not to, uh, you know, be a fanboy or anything, but I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a genuine fan of, uh, of Kevin's work. I have been for a long time, and I've been super grateful that I've, I've gotten to know him as more of a friend through stand-up over the years. And we've done uh, a good amount of shows together over the years. We've done, uh, he's on my show Stand Up on the Spot, and he has one of my favorite performances Top 10 in the jam, and we've had so many comedians over the years do the goddamn comedy jam, and he sang Otis Redding's Try a Little Tenderness, and wow, what a performance. You'll have to ask him about that if you ever see him live, but basically he did like this James Brown routine where he kept acting like he couldn't do anymore, but then he would just run back out on the stage, and we had like this full big piece band, and I'm like, I was blowing so hard on my sax that night. And we like were going for so long <laughs> that my my lips started bleeding because we were we were literally I was playing the hardest maybe I've ever played because oh man it was just such a fun night such a great performance but he's on the show that's gonna be coming your way very soon and got some fun announcements JeremiahWonders.com is live now yes go to JeremiahWonders.com for all your podcasts and video needs. If you're not watching the show on YouTube yet, that's another alternative to uh, all the other platforms that I've given you guys. It's now on video. The video of uh, Kevin and I of this episode will be out on Wednesday. The videos come out on Wednesdays on YouTube. And the podcast episodes drop on Mondays. So there you go. So if you haven't been to iTunes in a bit, go there too. Give us a good review. Give us that five-star rating. What do you say, huh? Huh? It's worth it. This one's fun, man. Sponsors of the show, Bronx Born Pizza in Bend, Oregon. Follow them on Instagram, at Bronx Born Pizza. Speedweed on Twitter, at Speedweed. If you got to get that weed, you got to get that need for your feed. Speedweed. Yes. And Joe's Pizza in L.A., at Joe's Pizza L.A. on Instagram. Pizza and Weed sponsors right now. If you want to sponsor the show or send me original music to possibly be featured on the show, email me at yourboyjeremiahwatkins at gmail.com. Let's get into this kindness challenge. For those of you who don't know, every week I push our listeners and uh, fellow members of the community to do something nice, an act of kindness for a stranger or somebody that you know. It could be somebody that you know. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be really small. It can be medium, but it doesn't matter. As long as you're doing something positive for somebody else, then that's what the challenge is. And I got a nice letter that I'm going to read to you right now. Usually I don't know what the uh, what the person looks like that sends 
the letter, but she's in a picture. So I have a little bit to go off of now. Uh, we met in Tulsa briefly. I forget exactly what her voice sounds like. So I wondered, what would she sound like if she was reading the letter? Here we go. Dear Jeremiah, I've been meaning to write you and thank you for a while, but my act of kindness today was a sign that made me sit down to finally thank you. I listened to you on Kill Tony and was very excited when you announced Jeremiah Wonders. I love that you open every episode with the kindness challenge. I truly believe our world could change if everyone was just kinder, and I am continually inspired by your challenge. I leave for training for a summer camp today and was asked last minute to bring someone who needs a ride with me. I honestly did not want to say yes because I don't know this person who needs a ride and I don't like small talk. <laughs> I ultimately agreed to giving this person a ride because I knew they needed it. Then I thought about your story when your car broke down on the way to a comedy show and I knew I was making the right decision, even if it could end up being awkward or not my ideal car ride. Your comedy and kindness brightened and helped me get through a difficult and stressful year as I worked to finish college and I am very thankful. I included a picture of us when you came to Tulsa for the Blue Whale Comedy Festival. We met because my friend Honey knew you. My goal is to come to LA soon and see lots of comedy. Thank you for all that you do. Sincerely, Daryl. Daryl Kilman, thank you so much for writing the show. It's very, uh, very nice of you to uh, give that ride to, uh, yeah, something that you don't know. It's not a comfortable situation sometimes, is especially that's when you really get to know somebody is whenever you drive in a car with them for an extended period of time. So perfect example, guys. Take a note from Daryl. It's pretty cool. Doesn't have to be that huge. Doesn't have to be like this extravagant thing. Doesn't have to be a money thing ever like that. It, she literally, she had extra space in her car. Gave a person a ride. Boom. There you go. I've got one that I would like to share uh, that I did this uh, this weekend that um, was something just small that, that I wanted to do. My wife and I were out to eat at uh, this Thai restaurant. And we were, uh, you know, we were just kind of celebrating with each other. Uh, Pat Reagan and I, we just finished recording the debut Reagan and Watkins album, which uh, I'll give you details to that later. But uh, I was just in a good mood, and we've been working really hard on that. We wanted to celebrate. Went on a hike, and we got uh, Thai food together, okay? And uh, as we're sitting in the outdoor area, there's like a little gate that you open to walk into this Thai food place. Uh, And... We're sitting in the outside seating and there's a homeless man that comes in and he has food from somewhere else and he sits down in one of the tables and one of the waitresses comes out and says, sir, you, you know, you can't, you have to purchase food here to use our furniture basically to sit down at the table. And something told me, you know, something was pulling at my heartstrings. This guy was like very respectful right away. He's like, okay, I'm really sorry. And he took his food and then he went right outside the gate and he started eating on the ground and it made me sad right away I was like man I I gotta I gotta help this guy somehow he's he seems like a nice guy who's super respectful and it seemed just down on his luck you know so I went in and I said hey if I buy this guy and like an appetizer or like a drink or something can he sit at the table and just eat his lunch and they said yeah that'd be fine so I bought him a coca-cola it was you know, $2 and 50 cents. And then I told the guys like, Hey buddy, you, you can come in. Like, uh, what do you want to drink? He's like, uh, uh Coke, 
got him a Coke. They served it to him at his table and he ate his food. And uh, he's like, uh, he told my wife and I to have a good night after he, he, he left. And it was just something small, but it made me feel much better because it's so easy to judge, uh, you know, people's situation, but you don't really know what's going on, what led them to, to that place. And if a guy can just have a, a meal, if he can sit at a table and feel like a human being for a little bit, it is so worth me spending a couple bucks on, on a soda, you know, for him to drink. So anyway, that was my kindest challenge of the week. I, I felt immediately, I was like, it, and like I said, I've been mentioning this challenge to you guys on the podcast and I was like, you know what? I need a solid kind, kind act that I need to do. So go out there and spread some positivity. What do you say? Hmm? It'll make you feel good. Hopefully you, you enjoyed that story. It made me feel really good, uh, to do that for a stranger and do something nice like that. So I implore you guys to do the same. I want to get through, um, a couple, uh, tour dates and then we'll get into this podcast what do you say guys june 2nd san francisco comedy psycho show that is this saturday june 2nd i'll be there headlining with reagan watkins joel jimenez will be there be playing some drums be doing some stand-up it's going to be a blast and then uh we're also going to do some shows at the setup in san francisco at 8 and 10 p.m on saturday june 2nd so come out to those shows if you're in that area if you missed the kill tony show that we just did there a little bit ago there's a chance to come see us Sunday, June 10th, my wife is having a benefit show for her nonprofit Zip Zap Zop in Richmond. And basically, it is a company that teaches kids on the autism spectrum improv to help with their social skills. And she is holding a benefit and an auction. That's a stand up show at the comedy store Sunday, June 10th. And that's going to be with myself, Jeff Ross, Brad Williams, Willie Hunter, and more comics to be announced. You can get tickets for that at the Comedy Store's website, Sunday, June 10th. And then Tuesday, June 12th, Stand Up on the Spot is back at the Comedy Store with Joe Rogan, Baron Vaughn, Casey Balsham, one of uh, the my co-producers from the, our New York show, Stand Up on the Spot, is coming into town to do that. And uh, you guys are the first to hear about this announcement, so go get tickets to that at StandUpOnTheSpot.com or the Comedy Store's website. And June 15th through 17th, I'm in Portland featuring for Tony Hinchcliffe, the Golden Pony and the Golden Goose are together again on the 17th. We're doing a live Kill Tony. And then July 14th and 15th, I'm in Brooklyn doing stand-up, the goddamn comedy jam, Kill Tony at Skankfest in New York. And then some other upcoming cities that I have coming up that uh, I'll give more details as they are coming your way in the fall. I'm going to be in Cleveland, Indiana, Lexington, Kentucky, Nashville, Tennessee, Detroit, Michigan, Austin and Fort Worth, Texas. So there you go. These are all those days are all with my buddy Tony Hinchcliffe, and we're doing some Kill Tony shows there. Let's get into this episode. the uh, The audio on some of this uh, episode is a little bit funky. I don't know if, if you'll notice it too much. I had to clean it up quite a bit. There's some buzz that I had to spend a lot of time removing, but it's in a good place now. But I did want to address if it's a little weird sounding in some places. I did have to to edit. Um, some stuff, but it's pretty clear and it's uh, pretty clean now. So let's get into this thing with Kevin Nealon. Here we go. 
And we are live right now with Kevin Nealon, everybody. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you, Jeremiah. Yeah. What do people call you? Is it Jeremiah or is it Jerry or Jer or Jerry? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, people have tried to call me Jerry for years, that's but bad. I, I nix it. You know? Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, it's not a it's not a good look for me. <laughs> it's like my son's name is Gable, mm -hmm. and sometimes people call him Gabe, and I go, oh, no, no, Gable, you know, say Gable. The, say the full name. Yeah. Yeah. Gable. Gable. That's I named what, him the full yeah. thing for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Did yeah, that Jeremiah, people ever call you your your full name? Kev. Kevin certain? Kevinson? Kevinson? No, no. Kev they usually just stop at Kevin. They usually stop at Kevin. But the son, Kevinson is uh, mostly in Asia. They'll say Kevinson. Kevinson. Yeah, yeah. Kevinson. Now, now do, do people try to call you Kev ever? Are you a yeah, fan yeah. of that? Yeah, I get Kev a lot. Kev a lot. K-Dog? Kevlar. Kevlar? Kevman. Kevlar suit, yeah. K. Then it's a, they'll break it down to K sometimes. Special K? Special K. Kmart. Yeah. Kmart, yeah. Mm -hmm. K-Man. <clears throat> K. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they call you okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all in my book. Yeah? No, it's not really. <laughs> There's no book. <laughs> Work in progress. Yeah. We uh, we were just sitting together recently at um, Mitzi Shore's memorial service at, yeah. uh, at the comedy store. And uh, you told me a pretty interesting story about uh, what Mitzi told you whenever... Uh, you were showcasing there to, to try to, to, to get past there yeah. back in the day. Yeah, my goal in um, coming out here to Los Angeles, one of my big goals was to get my name on the comedy store, you know, the white uh, handwritten name up yeah. there. And um, I thought there were a lot of names up there back then, but there's tons of them up there now. I think it's mostly white, the comedy store now. <laughs> you can barely see any of the black. <laughs> it's just all white walls. Behind now. <laughs> it with names on it. But yeah, um, and so I auditioned and um, several times and always did great. You know, I would get standing ovations and stuff. And, and she um, ultimately um, said I had to work other places. And I think it's because I was the bartender for two years at the improv. But I was no longer the bartender there, but she thought I had an affinity to the improv. This is back in the um, early 80s. Yeah. You know, um, like during that time when um, I'm Dying Up Here, that series that's out now kind of took place, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. So everybody was trying to get spots in these clubs. And, um, and <clears throat> my home club was mostly the improv at the time. Because I bartended there, and that's where I would always go. I would go to the and improv. They probably showed you the most love there too, like yeah. being working there and coming up. Yeah, it was more of a hangout too, because you had the bar out front, and then you had the back showroom, yeah. unlike the comedy store where it was, there was no place to really hang out. Yeah. At the time, so yeah, so but that was good. That memorial for her. I mean, I saw a lot of comics that I started out with that I barely recognized. Is that kind of surreal? It was surreal. It was like. Um, you know, like a 40 year high school reunion. Yeah. You know? And then I saw all my friends like currently that are doing the clubs and I thought, wow, these guys are really young. These guys are really old. <laughs> did it feel like, did you feel like you were in a small pool uh, of guys and girls who you used to kind of work with that you saw back in the day that you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm one of the few that are still, I'm out like all the time. And cause you're, you're really good about being like you do all the clubs, you do the factory, you do the store and you yeah. do the improv. And there's really only a handful of people, maybe, I don't know, that are in your class that I see like hitting it as hard as you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to stay engaged and go to the clubs and find out kind of, kind of, um, be aware of what's going on and what the comics are doing and stuff and what people are kind of, um, you know, connecting to. 
But, you know, it's not to say that those other people that I, you know, that aren't around anymore aren't doing well or not happy. You know, they just kind of uh, took a different path and maybe they're living someplace else or whatever. They might be writing on shows and might yeah, be doing this yeah. or that. Yeah. yeah, but it was good to see them. And, um, and you know, I had forgotten some of them. And when they showed up, they go, oh, yeah, that's right. You. That's right. <laughs> I remember you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. When I first started doing stand-up, you know, like I said, in the late 70s, 78, 79, early 80s, there was a whole different kind of, um, you know, um, nationalities at these clubs. It was mostly Irish, Jewish, you know, black. Um, Would you fit all of those criteria? That's all of my background, yeah. according to 23andMe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mostly those types of people, you know, from those backgrounds doing stand-up comedy. And then I got on SNL and I was doing Weeds and I didn't really hit the clubs as much anymore. Although I never gave up stand-up. I was always doing it on the road, and but not heavily like in the clubs in town. And then I started getting back into the clubs. And it was such a change in that like 20 year period. I mean, it was everybody at the clubs now. It was such a more of an international group of comedians because, you know, comedy became more accessible to people and it became more of a, a career minded job, you know, where when I started, it was kind of a real novelty kind of a thing. You know, if you're going to be a stand up, oh, really? You just stand up? But now, you know, of course, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are doing it. So I went back to the clubs. There's Indians and, you know, Armenians and, you know, every kind of nationality you could think of were in the club. When you're starting out with friends and family, like, oh, well, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> that's... Uh... Right, right. Well, what I did was I, I, I grew up on the East Coast and I checked out the New York club scene and it mm -hmm. was terrifying. You know, the, the crowds were really tough and the comics were tough. You know, Richard Belzer was like hosting the show and there's other New York comics on stage and the audience, you know, all crammed in smoking. Yeah, get up there, you know. Larry David was one of the comics and Larry David always, he would, not, not that I went there a lot, but the few times I went there, I saw Larry David and he would like call the heckler out to the street and get in a fight with him. Really? Yeah. At least the one, one time I saw that and I never saw them come back because he can't see the heckler from because of the lights on the stage Yeah, and he'd leave and then he wouldn't come back. But, um, so yeah, so I came out to Los Angeles away from my family so nobody could see me fail. And nobody could, you know. But so they're you all can, very, so you can phone home and be like, "Oh, mom, dad, I'm I'm doing great out here. Every it. night, just yeah. standing ovations." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was hard to come out here, and uh, I gave myself two years to see if I made any progress. And and um, how long had you been doing stand up on the East Coast before? Never, that? I never did it. Oh, so you came out here specifically, yeah. yeah, to do stand, and you gave yourself two years. Two years, yeah. I mean, I love telling jokes. I used to memorize the jokes in the back of the parade magazine in the newspaper. They had my favorite jokes by the you know different comics that were popular back then. And I would personalize those jokes and I'd go to a party, you know, like a neighborhood party, just standing around, I'd tell jokes to my friends, but I make it like it was mine, you know? Like there's one joke, I forget who did it, maybe a Stanley Myron Handelman or something. I, I would say to my friend, hey, did you hear about the guy who stole the uh, fire truck downtown this week? He goes, no, no, really, are you serious? And everybody's standing around, they wanna hear about it. I go, yeah, yeah, it was crazy, man. Well, what happened? Did they get the guy? Yeah, two hours later, he was arrested by some guy who stole a cop car. And they go, oh. You know. ah, Kevin got us again. Yeah, he got us. He got us. So that was the only really stand-up I did. So I had to kind of come up with my own material and come out here and develop a style and um, you know, hit all the open mic nights. So what, So you said you gave yourself two years. What was your, what was your breaking point whenever... Well, it, I realized before two years was up that I was not getting out of it. I'm staying with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, realized after the first time I got up at the improv, for me, it was a very gradual, like anything I do, it's always gradual entrance, kind of observing, you know, studying, 
before just throwing myself into it. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went to San Diego first for a couple of months with a buddy of mine, and we worked as department store Santa Clauses. And um, that was uh, like a temporary help job from Manpower. <clears throat> and then um, he met a girl down there. They got married. I came up to Los Angeles a few months after that. And um, I was sleeping on a friend's couch in Downey. We were lifeguards together back in Connecticut. And he was a substitute teacher now out here. So he let me sleep <laughs> on his couch. And I would drive into Hollywood every Sunday night to do the open mic night at the uh, improv. But I would gradually get into it. The first time I drove in, I would sit in my car outside and just look at the improv. I was afraid if I get out of the car, I automatically had to go on stage. They would know it. Right. You know? Like as soon as you said, like, hey, we need a comedian. Get, yeah, get yeah, in yeah. here right away. <laughs> so then the next Sunday, I came back again. I got out of the car. I went into the bar area. You know, and I gradually got into the showroom, put my name in the hat, and um, they would call my name, and I would look around, like everybody else was for Kevin Nealon, because I wouldn't get up. I was too scared. And then finally, the next time I went in, I got up. There was, it was like 1.30 in the morning, and there's four people left in the room, and they were drunk, and I got on stage, and it was the best ever. It was I had the best feeling. You know, that was the stage that Freddie Prince worked on and, you know, Richard Pryor and Steve Martin and all these people, you know. And, um, and I was hooked. And I came back like every Sunday and Monday, Monday for the comedy store, Sunday for the improv. And then I eventually became a bartender at the improv. And I basically lived there. You know, I got my own place in Hollywood and I lived at the improv. You know what it's like when you're first getting into it. That's all you want to do. You don't want to go to Bel Air or the no. Grauman's Chinese Theater. You want to be right there. Yeah. And your friends come out to visit you and they want to, you know, see Hollywood. And stuff. you go, I don't know. I just I, know the improv. I was the wor I've been the worst tour guide to family over the years because <laughs> yeah. they're like, uh, oh, like, where do you go? Like, where are the hotspots? I'm like, yeah. I just go to the comedy clubs. I can I can get, I can get you in there to, <laughs> yeah. to watch a show, like and and it'll be fun. But as far as tourist stops, they're like, where do you where do you go to eat? I was like, uh, there's some, you know some Taco Bell yeah, over it's there on the way to the club. And, it's on yeah, the way. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get a lot of people coming out when you first move out here, and I would give them tours, you know, but I right. wouldn't know where I was going, and there was no GPS back then. And uh, we go through Bel Air and see all the beautiful homes, you know, and take them up on Mulholland and, you know, the Chinese theater, all that stuff. And then it got to the point where I thought, I should just make a tape that they could put in their car. Yeah. And he'll go, okay, now take it right here. See that? There's, there's Grandma's Chinese theater right there. And then you go up further. Now take Sunset all the way down. To, GPS you know, audiobooks yeah. <laughs> on tape. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's what you do as a stand-up. You know, if you're, you have to kind of um, immerse yourself into that whole world. It's like learning another language. Yeah. And you just... Yeah, it's like living in another country. As soon as you get there, you're like, everything is unfamiliar. Like you said, you need to kind of observe what's going yeah. on before you feel comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Learning maybe, how to communicate, really. And you see the comics you saw on TV growing up. And, you, and before you came out, you go, oh my God, that's the, I saw her on The Tonight Show. Yeah. That's the one. And then you go in the back room. And it was really a great training uh, ground for me because... I, here I was in the midst of all these comics. They'd come in, they'd get a drink from me, you know, and I mean, Richard Lewis, Jay Leno, Robin Williams, all these, um, Andy Kaufman come in, he'd get a, a club, like a, you know, Perrier or something, you know, he didn't drink. And then I would watch them like from the office upstairs in the improv, there's a little like, you know, a peephole. I would yeah. look, because you couldn't get into the showroom, it was packed, you know, like Robin's in there and Andy Kaufman, Albert Brooks. And I'd watch them and i go, oh my God, this is amazing. Now, was that more intimidating or more inspiring whenever you're seeing them it was just both. destroy rooms? It was like, both. It oh, was wow. It was something that I knew that I would probably never, like I remember the first time I saw Robin Williams. I was maybe out here for a couple of months. I went down to Newport Beach and it was at uh, one of the clubs that are, it's defunct down there now. But anyway, I saw him and it casted such a dark cloud over me. 
because I was just in awe of how funny he was. Yeah. And I remember he was walking out through the crowd and I just had to tell him, I had to say, you, you are so funny. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, I'm very flattered. Thank you. Thank you very and much. I, yes. yeah, thank you very much. Oh, oh it's so nice of you to say, Kevin. So nice of you to say, Kevin. Oh. Oh, someone's in the back going, do you, do you make the drinks here? What do you do? <laughs> it's not just like him. <laughs> so anyway, I thought, you know, I kind of reassessed it when I got home. I thought, well, he can't be everywhere at the same time. I'll never be as good as him, but at least I'll have fun doing what I'm doing, you know? So, yeah, so it was inspiring in a lot of ways. And, and, and then other times, you know, I remember I followed him once in New York. I went back to New York, you know, after being out here for a while. I followed him at the improv there. And it was like I was invisible on stage. People were all talking about him, you know? Oh, because you had to go on right, right after, after him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, he just carried everything out with him, you know? Yeah, I mean, this was a, this is a different case, but uh, example of whenever I felt invisible on stage at the store. This is when CK was at his peak and follow him. He had just done. How do you know he's not at his peak? Yeah. I mean, I think he's peaked a couple times, <laughs> but I know I think he'll come back. We'll see. Um, that's a different topic. Um, but, uh, I had to follow him after he just did like yeah. 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes in the original room at the comedy store. And I went up and I was supposed to do five right after that. It's like, I was basically the sacrificial yeah, yeah. lamb that the went buffer. up on stage, the buffer, because yeah. the host just right away goes, losing everybody. All right, this next comic, Jeremiah, like they didn't even want to touch the mic. They wanted to get so far away from that. And I just spent, I addressed it real quick and I was like, yeah, that was cool. And then I spent the rest of my set just doing it, committing. And then the, there's some older comics in the back that are like, Hey man, you did exactly what 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 you could do in this situation. <laughs> were they in the mafia? Those guys? <laughs> they were. They're, they're peeking through their 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 uh, putting silencers on their uh, solar rifle. Like, hey, uh, you know, the next time that happens without yeah. you knowing, like we'll pop them off for you. Don't huh? give them your real name when you go up after someone like that. Don't just do tell that. him, you know, just tell him your new in town, and yeah. you know, what a thrill to follow this guy. Yeah, but, yeah that, you know, anonymous. but that's the thing about you know, that's part of building character as a stand-up. You have to do those things. Mm-hmm. You have to work on the road in these crappy towns and clubs. You got to follow the big comics, you know, and that's how you become strong as a comedian, you know? And I mean, that's, um, that's a great experience to actually have that opportunity to do that, you know, but just don't use your real name. Right. Definitely. I think your, uh, your lifeguard buddy is actually calling in to the show right now. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Let me see if I can get him on the line. Uh, uh, hello. Hello. Hey, uh, uh, is this Kevin's old roommate? This is Paul Barrows. Well, Paul Barrows. Paul Barrows? Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. You have a very thick, uh, what is that? Uh, is that, what kind of accent is that? Barrow. It's from Alaska. It's a town up there called Barrow, Alaska. Oh, okay. Apparently, my great, 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 great uncle discovered that town. He built it. Oh, okay. He's an Inuit. You know, an Inuit? Like an Eskimo, right? Well, we don't call them Eskimos. Oh, is that not PC anymore? Yeah, or Oriental. They're not Oriental either. They're Inuit. Specifically Inuits. Yeah, they're Inuit that are into it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I so think. anyway, yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I just uh, I was listening and I heard uh, Kevin talk about uh, sleeping on uh, my couch out in Downey. Yeah. Uh, hey, Kevin, I'm still in that same apartment. Uh, Kevin, did you know that you that he was still living? Uh... No, I did not. Hey, Paul. It's good to hear you. Hey, you too, buddy. I'm, I'm glad you're doing so well. Thanks. You too. And, and uh, what, what are you doing now? 
I, I'm still substitute teaching. I'm still in the same apartment. If you ever need, if you ever need a couch to sleep on, I'm right. Come on out. You know, Downey is beautiful. No, no, I know it is. It is. And thanks for that, man. If I hadn't slept on your couch, I probably wouldn't uh, be in, in the position I'm in now at Jeremiah Watkins' house. <laughs> I never heard of Jeremiah. He sounds like a nice guy. I like I, the podcast. I usually go by uh, anonymous on stage, so just in oh, case. You do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. probably why you haven't heard of me. Yeah. Well, Paul, are you still working out? I know you were kind of a bodybuilder back then. I let that go to the wayside. Oh, really? That's too bad because you put a lot of work into it. Oh, yeah, it all went away. It was just for the girls, you know. And now I'm, uh, you know, I'm asexual now. I'm trans, uh, not transgender, but I'm just trans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't really know what that is, do you? <laughs> yeah, Paul, I'm not, I'm not really know. sure. I don't know. Uh, now, it seems like you uh, you kind of were, were mentioning pretty hard that, uh, that Kevin slept on your couches. Are you calling to kind of try to get something out of Kevin or? Well, you know, it's just like what he said. He said, you know, if, if they weren't for my couch, I, you know, he, he wouldn't really be where he is today. You know, so I, I find myself partially responsible for his uh, success. Um, and I'm, you know, I've, I've, to be honest with you, I ran into a little, a little bit of tough times here. You know, I got, uh, got into trouble with a few people. Oh, boy. that's a... You know, I can't tell you how often I get these calls from people. Really? In my past that kind of, Need a little help and you stuff. You slept on you know? my waterbed. You borrowed a cup of sugar from me. Well, not only did he sleep on my couch, but um, my girlfriend was also sleeping on the couch at the same time. Oh. Oh, but that... Oh. See, I did not know that. <laughs> well, it is true. You know, I don't know what your intention was, but it... Uh, you know. So anyway, I'm calling you now to say that you have got a, uh, a 27-year-old child living in Downey who's actually sleeping on my couch. Wow, that couch is getting a lot of uh, play. Yeah, that's a that's a popular couch. Yeah, again, I get a lot of these calls too. You know, I get the yeah. father of my son and this and that. But you know, it always uh, proves to be not true because we don't take the calls after that. Oh. Well, this is uh, this is uh, you. You could run the uh, tests on it if you want. You know, the DNA, whatever they do. Uh, but uh, but I'm happy for you still. You know, God bless you. Um, we named your son Blossy, by the way, Blossy. That's a very Californian name, Blossy. That is, that is Blossy, Blossy. Where does that come from? I, you know, it's just, um, I had a dog named Blossy once and I missed the dog. So you know, I want to get that name back into the rotation again. All right. Well, I'm glad you're commemorating uh, the memory of a dog uh, into Kevin's child. Yeah, that is That's not. nice. I hear that if you don't get out of parts of California that you actually get Downy syndrome uh, after a while. <laughs> You know, don't say I haven't heard that before. Yeah, but that's. Uh, but I'm telling you, if you've ever been out to Downey, it's quite. It's quite the community. You know, we got a nice, uh, a nice group of people out here. You I heard know, you've got a fire pit out there now. We got a fire pit right uh-huh. in the town center. A gazebo and too, right? They just installed that. Oh, we got a nice. Well, the gazebo burnt down from the fire pit. Oh right. Well, they they put them too close together, didn't They're they? Too close. You can't put the fire pit inside yeah. the gazebo because there's not enough ventilation. I mean, that's probably why they probably should have followed that zoning ordinance. But exactly. Well, we had the gazebo. Uh, you know, we had it closed in. There was not, not a lot of circulation for the fire Wait, pit. so <laughs> it was, you didn't have a good view from the gazebo? It was just more of a shed? It was more of a shed. It became an octagonal <laughs> shed, if you will. Uh, but, um, but yeah, but yeah, not, not a loss to Downey. And we got other things happening here. You know, the great thing about Downey is uh, you could get to Disneyland from here very quickly. Anaheim, which is about maybe just a mere I think that's away. really the only selling point of, uh, of living in, in that part of California. Uh, yeah, it's got, they got a lot of other stuff. Yeah, they got a lot of other stuff over there, too. You know, I've, I've been out there. It's right off the 5 freeway. Right. Yeah, and you can get to San Diego a lot quicker. Uh, not just Disneyland, but San Diego, Fullerton. 
all those places. Now, now Kevin, are you, are you sponsored by Downey uh, to represent them on this uh, podcast? Because it sounds like you're you're selling me on yeah, there. Pretty well, hard. the truth is, yes, I am. I'm working with the Downey Tours Board, and um, you know, and so far to this date, I've been with them for three years now. I have um, <laughs> increased the population of Downey from. I think it was um, 895,000 uh-huh. to 899,000 people. Wow. In a mere three years. A solid four That's grand. Great. And a lot of them slept on my couch you know, before they got their own place. Paul, well, th- Paul, thanks for calling in. It, it seems it's like you. It's my fl- pleasure, man. It's, it's, it's first time caller, long time listener. All right. Uh, thanks, Paul. I appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Thanks, Paul. Good hearing from you. Yeah, you too. Your son's here if you ever want to see him. Okay. Bye bye. Blossy, yeah. If you ever want to see Blossy, I mean, that could be fun. Yeah, right. Well, God bless him. <laughs> Yeah, you ever wonder what uh, people are doing that you knew from your past? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, you're from Kansas, so they're probably farmers, right? <laughs> nah, come on, you get nah. that a lot, don't you? Uh, you know what's funny is uh, the part of Kansas that I grew up in was the, the suburbs of Kansas City. and uh, Kansas pe- City? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I didn't know that. I was only born there. Oh, okay. My father just finished up school. Slew. FedEx University. Yeah. Three yeah. weeks I was there. Hated the place. Got in the car and I split with the family. Grew up in Connecticut. But yeah, St. Louis is next to Kansas City, isn't it? Yeah. It's like three, three and a half hours. Is it really that far away? Yeah. Because uh, I live on the, the Kansas side. I live on the border of Kansas City, Kansas, and Missouri. So it takes like three, three and a half hours to get there. You know, typically I know all about geography because I've been on the road so long. Yeah. You know, for and doing clubs around the country. The only state I haven't been to is South Dakota. So I've never seen Mount Rushmore. But um, but typically when somebody talks about a town, I can imagine it right in my head, like Springfield. Right. Like Missouri, I know yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know the whole exactly. Way out, you know, um, wh- whatever it is, San Antonio, Austin, Seattle. I, I can go there in my head. But Kansas City... Um, Mental blur? Yes, I have been. Yes, like? I have been in Kansas In fact, I was just there. Oh yeah, I was just in Kansas what club City. Did you play? I was playing. I was doing the um, a Gilda, um, you know, a fundraiser. Oh, cool for the Gilda for, um, uh, Gilda Renner. Yeah, for cancer, and it was at an old theater there. Do you okay. know what I'm talking about? I think I know. Yeah, I think I know which one. Yeah, but yeah. I love. You know, um, I think I used to see some concerts there back in the day. Uh, I used to work in a club there called Sanford and Sons. Yeah. Up in Westport. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm familiar with uh, mm-hmm. those owners and everything. Mm-hmm. And I stayed, you stayed at the Fremont. Craig Glazer. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Oh, wait, is, uh, is Craig Glazer calling in to the show right now? I think he is. Oh, is he? Hey. Hey, is this Kevin Nealon? Hey, Greg, how you doing? Hey, great, man. Uh, we just opened a fourth location in Kansas City. We're, uh, you know, we're hoping to get you back on the show. Uh, can you do a one-nighter for 250 <laughs> <laughs> I could, but now the other three locations, are they still open? Uh, we had to unfortunately close those down. Uh, we keep hopping around town a little bit here and there, but, you know, uh, King of Sting always got to keep on moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you guys always had a great club, man. I love working up uh, there in Westport. And uh, you had some sons running uh, the club or something, or your father? Yeah, you'll love this new location. It's in the attic of a warehouse. Oh, nice, man. That's hip. Yeah, That's it used hip. to be a shoe factory. Nice. Who else has worked there so far? Oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, so many comics, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Jeremiah Watkins, he's worked there. He's, he's oh, actually, you, we consider work? him royalty there. Jeremiah, you've worked there? I, I mean, I have, I, I can't attest to this new shoe factory location, but, but you're from Kansas city. So you felt, you I to... mean, I, I have performed there. I've had some weird experiences, uh, 
at that club. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Oh, oh, California boy, now too good to come back home and play Kansas City, are you? No, it's not that. It's just like, uh, you know, I've just had some weird experiences, uh, you know, at the club uh, with uh, with family and people come to see me and uh, just the general setup there. And you do material at the top, which is not really material, so it's, uh, it sets a, a weird tone for yeah, the some, show. Some club owners, club owners just want to kind of be in the spotlight a little I bit. I just want to get my yayas out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if people are on that journey with me, then hell yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we uh, we got to let you go, Craig, but uh, thanks for calling it. All yeah, right, thanks. you think about that 250 uh, for that one-nighter on a I Tuesday, will. Kevin, okay? I will do that. Thank you. That's All very right. generous of you. We, Thank already, you. we already are advertising you, so uh, your your picture's on uh, the walls and the marquee outside and on the website. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. All right. Uh, thanks. thanks, man. Yeah. It makes me how people take that, um, you know. That I'll think about it. And then they just... They go ahead with it. They run with it. I actually... That club is funny. They, they were tweeting out that I was going to be there one weekend, and I hit them up immediately. I was like, yo, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not there. And, and somebody hit me up later. They're like, oh, man. I mentioned, that, I mentioned your name to them. That you that you played here before, and that I'm friends with you, and they put you <laughs> on, oh, on, t- on Twitter. Anything. I was like, "Wow, okay, yeah, yeah." Here we go. But I like Kansas City. That's um, that's the home. That's the uh, a lot of fountains there, and yeah, barbecue. City fountains. Yeah, barbecue. Do you remember any good barbecue they've had while you've been there? Well, no, I don't eat meat, so I don't go to barbecues. But oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Uh, but I understand that all of the um, fountains there they turned into. Um, Grills, Kool-Aid, wood oh, pits, grill. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. to build for the uh, barbecues. Yeah, yeah, just fire pits, you know. Yeah, yeah, but that's a good town to come from. I like Kansas City. I have some friends there. Yeah, there's good people there. Yeah, let's good. get into uh, this next segment called Pizza Party. Okay. Now we just enjoyed some pizza from Joe's Pizza, and uh, yeah, you just told me that uh, you don't eat meat, so we had a, a cheese pizza. Yeah, which I just thought you were a cheese. Guy, cheeseaholic, a cheeseaholic, yeah. Uh, but uh, have you been? Are you vegetarian? I'm a pescatarian. <clears throat> I was a vegetarian for a long time until about uh, so you don't believe in fish. Ago. Uh, I believe in fish, mm, okay, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, but I love pizza. I like basically a cheese pizza or vegetarian pizza, you know, or salmon pizza, yeah. Did you have a New York spot while you were out there that you're like, this, New is York, my, this is my uh, There was a place called place. John's Pizza down in the village mm-hmm. that I liked a lot. But apparently the best pizza was under the Brooklyn Bridge on the Brooklyn side that Frank Sinatra used to go to. Really? I forget the name of it, but you can't go wrong really in New York pizza, most of the places. I even, I, there's a lot of those those spots that are, I mean, it's cheap, but they're like, it's like a dollar or a dollar fifty for a lot of those places. And yeah. if you need a quick bite, it's the, it's so affordable to just grab oh yeah yeah and like, it's already hot and it's ready yeah. you know and it's sliced there's one guy there uh he used to go to this pizza place i think it was on broadway and i ordered like a piece of pizza and i want i wanted more than you know i had the peppers on there please um mushrooms uh peppers and mushrooms um onions and um give me some like artichoke no no i'm not going to give you more than three three more than three toppings it ruins it it ruins it, it makes it too complicated just three toppings is the most i'm going to do you know, everyone's a tasty thought. Okay, all right, buddy, take it easy. Take it easy. I, there's this place called um, 
uh, blaze that you can load up as many toppings as you want. It's like a subway yeah. of, of pizzas, and my pizza looks ridiculous whenever <laughs> it comes out of the oven because I'm like, okay, uh, could I get a, could I get the sausage? Could I get uh, the pepperoni? Could I get uh, the jalapenos? Could I get the banana peppers? <laughs> Scoop uh, of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Could I get a stick of beef jerky. Your thin crust pizza becomes a deep a deep dish pizza. Pretty much. Like, so, Do you, are you a deep dish pizza guy? I got into it uh, a few years ago. I'd never had it before, but I had some Chicago like yeah. Lou Malnati's. Uh, oh yeah, that's, like, that's wow. really good. That's was, a meal. Oh yeah, that's a meal in itself. Tony and I went through well, whenever we were on uh, our tour in the in the fall. We called ahead and picked it up like on the routing. Yeah, and we literally. All three meals that day were one <laughs> large <that> one? <laughs> pizza. For breakfast, yeah. we ate it. For after the first show, we ate it. And then late at night after we finished, like, <laughs> going out afterwards at the hotel room, we finished that pizza. And it was, we were just like, oh, yeah, so yeah. Crazy. They'll send you the pizza, too, there. They'll freeze it and send it to you, yeah, ship my, it to you. my buddy is from Chicago, and his uh, that's what his mom does for his birthday every year. It's, oh, that's it's, great. Yeah, that's great. She'll send one of those to him. And what's your favorite place out here besides Joe's? Uh, I like this place called Lucifer's as well. Yeah. Have you ever had that? No. If you're in a spicy sauce, hmm. really good. My, um, my favorite place, um, not only because I have invested in it with a friend of mine who opened it up. Okay. It's, uh, in Reseda. Called Pizza Hut. Now, <laughs> now they've got a hand-tossed crust that is unbelievable. Uh, and, and like, I, the stock has gone up and down over the years, but I think it's a pretty quality bite. Um, no, this place is just, it's just like wood-burning, wood-burning oven, and it's, um, it's called Flame Pizzeria. 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 It's, uh, thir- uh, 19-309. Van Owen Street. Okay. And it's so good. And my buddy Rich uh, Florzak uh, owns it. And uh, he makes all the pizza. And he used to be a personal chef to a lot of these big celebrities, you know. And pizza was a uh, specialty. So they have all these specialty kind of like pizzas that are so good. Man, if you're ever out there, you should check it out. I like wood fire pizza a lot. It's a, it's a really different flavor and taste. Than, yeah, 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 yeah. It depends on what homes you get the wood from, too, when you start burning it. You know, oh, you yeah. make sure that the lead paint is not still on it. And also what uh, endangered species you stole the wood from, because it really affects the taste of the pizza, you know? Yeah. And don't take cedar chips out of like a stall, like a horse stall. Yeah. That's, uh, it, it uh, puts a weird taint. Uh, kind of a fertilizer taste. Yeah. Taint oh, to it. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah, bit of yeah. a, a funky, funky <clears throat> yeah. chew to it. But that, you're right though, but you can taste that wood, turn, uh, wood burning pizza. The kerosene burning uh, ovens aren't that great. No, 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 not a fan. Not a fan. Of Are those. you a thin crust guy? I prefer thick, but I will, I will mow down some thin. Yeah. 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 Thin goes down too easy. Yeah. Sometimes you just keep shoving like with New York pizza. I can bang out a lot of slices of that because it just feels like, ah, I'm like it's, it's how many slices thin. can you eat on a regular size pizza? I think there's what 12 slices or 10 slices. Mm-hmm. Can you go through like maybe do half of them? I used to be able to, yeah. but I try to not eat to where I'm stuffed anymore. Like I used to eat whenever I was like starting out here in LA, the mindset was so different. It was like a bear. Survival. Where, yeah. Where if there was pizza or somebody ordered something that I wasn't paying for, I would literally eat until I was <laughs> so like stuffed and full. Yeah. yeah. Where I'm like, oh yeah, it was great guys. Was, uh, yeah. Um, can I have another slice? And, I would eat until I was almost sick because I didn't know the next time I was going to eat. 
Yeah. I was like, because I knew I only had like ramen at home or whatever. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I can always eat that, you know? It's funny how eating can be so um, emotional on so many levels. You know, like sometimes I eat when I'm stressed or I'm tired or I think I might be gay. Because, you know, you think what you're never going to... What was that what, last thing what you just said? Uh, that when I'm emotional, I eat. Oh, okay. You know, like, yeah. No, but seriously, um, sometimes like if I'm about to leave the house... I have that same kind of a feeling that you do. Like, I feel like I should eat something yeah. in case, you know, I'm stuck and I don't get home again. Well, what if traffic yeah, yeah. piles up where you're stuck for a long or time? when you come home at the end of the day, yeah. you, you think, oh, I'm home. I won't open up the refrigerator, see what we got to eat. It's comfort food, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big comfort food guy. Like, where if, I, if I'm, like, tired or I'm just, like, emotionally drained, like, oh, some ice cream? Ooh. Oh, man. I used to sit and eat big bowls of ice cream with my father at, you know, at the end of the day, he'd come home from work. We'd sit in front of the TV on our couch and watch, we, I remember watching Monty Python with him. That's the first time I ever saw Monty Python. We'd sit there with big bowls of ice cream with like the butter, you know, butterscotch topping on it and chocolate syrup and bananas and whipped cream. And then we finished that and we'd go up and get more ice cream, you know, <laughs> it's crazy how much we ate. Was Monty Python one of your first influences that like you and your dad bonded over like watching? I do remember watching that with him and discovering at the same time. And we both kind of liked it. Um, but, you know, we used to watch a lot of things together. But Jerry Lewis movies were probably the first like funny things I remember seeing. And mm -hmm. Elvis Presley movies, you know, the comedy in an Elvis Presley movie. Yeah. Because I was a big Elvis fan. But, um, but yeah, Jerry Lewis, Monty Python, Benny Hill. My father kind of liked Benny Hill. Mm -hmm. It was kind of silly. And, um, but we never watched SNL, you know, really? thought, well, that, cause that came on in 75. Right. That was the first time it started airing. But, um. And when, when you said you came out to California in. I came out here in 78. Okay. So you hadn't watched the show like at all, like, uh, during that time and like, and it's like whenever it was like really hot. No, you know what? I I think I did. I remember being mm -hmm. in LA watching it and always falling asleep and waking up when they're saying the good nights. You know what I mean? I remember that as, uh, uh, yeah, when yeah. I was younger, I, I'd, I would, I would sometimes, I, I'd be so excited to watch it, but then like I'd wake yeah, up and yeah, be like, yeah, da, da. yeah, like, yeah. Oh. For some reason, the goodbyes woke you up. Yeah, you know? always, every single time. But the thing, I was more of a stand-up guy. I wasn't really interested in sketch comedy. I just wanted stand-up, stand-up, stand-up. You know? Yeah. I remember raking leaves in my yard. This is, this was the impetus that really sent me to Los Angeles. It's kind of sick, but I'm raking leaves and I'm, I'm, I got the radio outside listening to the music, you know, make the time go by a little bit. And they break in with a, uh, the news that Freddie Prince killed himself. Oh, and I remember man. there being such a big to do about a comedian dying and how important this comedian was. And I thought this makes sense. Comedy is very important. And I, you know, and somehow I thought, well, there's an opening now in LA. You know, so I'm going to go out there. <laughs> but, you know, but I, but it did make me realize how uh, important comedy was and how it affects people and how, um, you know, um, there is a market for it. So I, I just moved, packed up and moved out here. Yeah. I mean, I was deeply affected when uh, Robin Williams passed away. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I think we all were. That was a yeah, shock. Yeah. Um, I'd only, ha you know, gotten the pleasure of seeing him once in person uh, but I, I didn't get to see him perform. He was literally coming out of Iowa West after he'd done uh, improv, and uh, he's like, "I haven't. It's been a long time since I've I've uh, done the improvs." And uh, wow, that was so fucking fun. Yeah, 
yeah. And, I, and, I, and like, I didn't want to bug him for a picture because I was like, I want to, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. Like, he just was like, he. I, I knew that as a comedian, I was like, I know what it's like riding high after a performance. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him so many times coming to the improv and all around the clubs in San Francisco, you know. I kind of knew him for a long time. I called him Bobo. Hey, Bobo, how's it going? Ah, how are you doing? So, you know, I don't think he knew my name for a long time. But I would see him get hounded by everybody, and he'd come yeah. into the improv with his Mork suspenders on, because he was sh shooting Mork and Mindy at the time, you know, and they'd bring, usher him in through the kitchen, he'd go on the stage, and yay, it was Robin, you know? And um, and then, you know, as the years went by, I became less intimidated by him, and we got to know each other more, and I'd see him all the time, you know, and we could have conversations. And and I remember I was up in uh, Lake Tahoe at Harrah's, and he was doing a um, thing with um, David Steinberg, you know, the interview thing, mm -hmm. Inside the Mind of a Comic, I think, Inside Comedy. And um, I was backstage and I never took a picture with him. And this was like maybe a year before he died. And I said, Robin, do you mind if we get a picture? I don't think I've ever taken a picture with you. Because I hated to ask him too, because I saw all the yeah, people over the years like hounding him for pictures. He goes, oh, no problem. You know, so we took a picture and I was so glad I took that picture. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah, you never know. It's, it's crazy. Oh, by the way, just in case, I should get a picture with you too soon. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. This could be my last podcast. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. No, nobody, nobody knows, knows nobody the future. Knows. Nobody knows what's in the car. Somewhere in the back, someone's going, whoa. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever, when you, uh, you said you didn't watch uh, SNL that much, uh, how did, how did your stand-up kind of lead you into the direction of sketch comedy? Because you said you're a stand-up, 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 like joke, 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 you know? Yeah, I wasn't into, uh, well, the fact that SNL wanted me, it was um, baffling because I wasn't a sketch player. I didn't do um, characters or accents or improvs. I was just a stand-up, a really, really good stand-up yeah, man. We're talking really like yeah. really, really, probably, you know, <clears throat> one of the best, but, uh, you know. Well, I could tell you the story. I mean, a lot of people ask me how I got on Saturday Night Live, although they phrase it more like this. How did you get on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> <laughs> I feel oh. like that's one of those jobs that, like, com like, it's so funny. As much as comedians, like, over the years will be like that show sucks now or whatever yeah. like every comedian if if somebody offered. called them up and offered yeah. them they'd be like oh yeah well when would you <laughs> yeah. like me to yeah. you know what i mean as much as they talk crap on the show it's so funny to me i mean it's not like i never watched it i would watch it you know and i i was like everybody else i enjoyed it you know and the blues brothers and all that stuff yeah and you're and, like i can do that <clears throat> you know i never thought that i never even i never even considered that I was friends with Dana Carvey. Mm -hmm. We knew each other from stand-up. You know, he was a stand-up, I was a stand-up. And yeah. he did the characters and voices in his act, you know, the church lady and stuff. Was he the improv with you a lot, like, around no, that I, era? I kind of knew him up in San Francisco. Oh, You know, that's from right. working up there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, we do the clubs up there, like the other cafe and the Holy City Zoo and the Punchline, all those places. And, um, and then Dana, you know, things evolved and Dana came down to Los Angeles and I had a place in the hills with a couple other comics. And uh, Dana rented the room above the garage when he was in town. He and his wife would stay there. And we would run around the reservoir. And we both liked to run. And he was he's a great runner. He still is. And um, I was dating Jan Hooks at the time. We had been good friends for a long time. And then we started dating, which got pretty intense. But she was up for the show as well. And Dana got it that summer. So he moves to New York to um, get ready for that season. And Jan is up for the show. And I'm excited for both of them. I'm reading Backstage Live at SNL, just trying to understand it all and see what they're going into. I'm excited for them. Yeah. Never thinking I would ever be in the mix. And then I get a call from Dana one uh, summer night before that season premiere. And he goes, hey, Kev, they're still looking. I'm at Laura Michaels' house. 
He goes, I'm in the, guess who's in the kitchen? Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. I said, you're kidding me. He goes, no. Anyway, the, Lauren is looking for one more cast member. I told him about you and I think he's going to want to see your tapes. I said, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are in the kitchen? Oh my God. I didn't even think about the other thing, you know, because yeah. I would never get that show. Right. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so I sent my tapes in, you know, not thinking anything of it. And two weeks later, I get another call from Dana. Get back out of Lauren Michaels. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. I said, you're kidding me. Steve Martin's in the kitchen. He goes, yeah. Anyway, Lauren Michaels like your tape. I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I said, Steve Martin's really in the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> so I fly into New York, not thinking anything of it. You know, it's a free trip to New York for me. And I get there and I audition. I do like my stand-up, like some of my stand-up act. I wasn't doing any characters or anything. I do my little stand-up in Studio 8H. Do you remember any of those jokes yeah. at the time? <clears throat> yeah, I did what I did on The Tonight Show. It was like my A material, you know. And um, <clears throat> I actually used to do a bit called um, Would You Rather. You know, this is before that game came out and all that other stuff. You know, would you rather have somebody, um, you know, run a wood plane down your shin and then back it out? So there's a little piece of skin hanging from your shin and then hook up a key from a can of Spam, you know, and uncurl your skin all the way down to your toes. Or, you know, would you rather get your finger slammed in a car door and have the guy drive away through a car wash? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's what I did on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson the first time. But so I did some of that, I think. And then um, I did a couple of character guys that me and Danny used to work on in the driveway. The, I remember there was these two porno guys. We'd be like sitting in the chair getting makeup. And we just be small talk to each other, you know, like just guys on the job, you know. Yeah, so what'd you do last night, Tommy? Well, you know, I went down to, uh, you know, um, um, Mar Marcy wanted to go to that new restaurant. And, uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, just put a little more uh, glitter on the side down there. Yeah, they keep giving instructions to the uh, makeup artist. Yeah, put some pinstripes on there. Make it nice for the people. There's always make it nice for the people. Yeah, yeah, put a little uh, gloss on the tip there. Yeah, make it nice for the people. Yeah, nice call. Yeah, so Marcy likes the restaurant and she uh, she thinks that maybe you guys might like it. We should go down there and some double sometime. Yeah, 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 fluff it up down there right just around the, uh, uh, put a little shadowing underneath the balls over there. That's right. Perfect. Nice for the people. So I did that. Could you, could you, could you put a pot in the seam real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Another a couple of characters we did, which we ended up doing on SNL, was a couple of Sammies, it's called. In fact, anytime Dennis Miller talks to me now, he calls me Sammy from this thing. It was kind of like the Wayne's World set down in the basement. But um, we did this like the first year we were on, before um, Mike Myers and Wayne's World, all that stuff. Um just that it was takes place in the basement and we were kind of slobs was the, the only similarity. But um, we were two guys named Sammy and we would just eat Chinese food and we just talk about these big plans we had. You know what I want to do someday, Sammy? What do you want to do, Sammy? One day, you know, I want to build a boat and I'm just going to just sail it around the, oh, who am I kidding? That's another thing I'm never going to do. Sammy, hand me some of that dim shot school over there. Yeah, and we have chopsticks, you know. <laughs> what do you, you know what I want to do, Sammy? What do you want to do, Sammy? You know, and we just go back and forth like that. You yeah. know, just two losers. So I did that. And, um, and then I went back to LA, not thinking anything of it. I think I never heard from him. Two weeks later, I'm sitting in a high rise across from Laura Michaels and he's offering me a job at Saturday Night Live. And I said, well, let me think about it over the weekend and uh, I'll get back to you. And he saw right through that, you know. He goes, well, you think about it over the weekend and we'll see you in New York on Monday. So the next thing I know, I'm in New York. I'm at Laura Michaels' house and I get a call from Dana Carvey. He goes, Kev, I'm back at Laura Michaels' house. Guess who's in the kitchen? I said, I'm in the kitchen now, tough guy. I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> That's so great. Now, did you, did you, before you said that, I'll think about it over the weekend, was your gut like, I don't know if I should say this or. I'll tell you why I said that. Yeah. Because my manager at the time was Brad Gray. Okay. Who went on to become the head of Paramount. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he was managing Lauren Michaels too. He wasn't even my manager at the time. I had asked him to be my manager, but he said his hands were full. He would guide me. He was nice enough that to say he would help me out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then when the offer came for SNL, he was all for 
managing me, of course. We've always loved you yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Lauren gave the big spiel about SNL and what was going on with the show. This was right before it almost got canceled in um, 86. And um, he said, um, excuse me, I'm going to go to the bathroom. He excused himself to go to the bathroom. It's I mean, In hindsight, I'm thinking this is all just worked out between him and Brad. You know, he gives the long speech about SNL and the direction they're going. He'll excuse him to go to the bathroom. I talk to Brad Gray about it. Brad goes, you know, just tell him to think about it over the weekend and we'll get back to him. I mean, you know, we'll see what he has to offer and all that, you know. You know, you can be a regular cast member. You're going to be a feature player. You're a writer. You know, we don't know any of that stuff. So, you know, perfect timing. Lauren comes back and I, um, he goes, so what do you think? And I took everything I had to say, well, can I think about it over the weekend and get back to you Monday? <laughs> so, but, you know, little did I know they probably had that whole thing worked out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But did also you... I knew that was the last time I'd have any power over Lauren Michaels. <laughs> yeah. Just that one glimpse. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you, uh. Did you know that you were going to do Weekend Update right away? Or no, no, that, I didn't do it right away. Yeah. No. It evolved after... After a couple of years, Dennis was doing it. And yeah, then yeah. Uh, Lauren, I think, always kind of liked me to... to you know, he, he had me, if Dennis ever left, that I would kind of full move into that. Because I was a big Chevy Chase fan. Oh, man. I love the way Chevy did Weekend Update. You know, it was more the, the dry newscaster, mm-hmm. which is what I did. And, you know, since then, I think everybody kind of brought their own personality to Weekend Update. You know, whether it was Colin Quinn or Tina Fey, whoever. You know, they were just doing pretty much commentary. I liked your approach a lot, how straight and deadpan it was to camera yeah. because there'd be these wacky like Sandler characters. Right, right. And you're just kind of chiming in like like you were like like taking notes. a good notes straight or, man. Yeah, yeah, you're a great straight man. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the SNL aficionados weren't big fans of my Weekend Update, you know, but, you know, that's the thing with Weekend Update. It's so subjective. Everybody has their favorites and yeah. they have their... Uh, Everybody has their cast members or their, especially it depends on like when they got introduced to the show too, like who their guys yeah. are. One of my favorite weekend update moments of yours was when um, Chris Farley was doing his uh, Bennett Brower character. Yeah. And you are trying to keep it together, and he's starting to try to fly with right. these wires. He was hooked up to a harness and a cable, and, and he's you, supposed to lift out over the audience. And you, like, ultimate team player, get up and try to start <laughs> unhooking yeah. the wire from the lights. <laughs> And, and, and well, what happened was his cable got hooked, I think, on the uh, the weekend update um, backdrop. Yeah. You know, the lettering. Yeah. And so I had to undo the cabling. He flies out over the audience, you know. <clears throat> and um, like, I'm flying. And you're like, uh, you're not flying yet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, it kills me when different magazines come out with the, the top, you know, the list of. Uh, that makes no sense. Because to me. comedy is so subjective. Yeah. You know, you can't make a list for everybody and say this is the funniest ever. The you top know? 200 the SNL top, yeah, cast yeah, members. Right. Like, well, who? Yeah. It depends on a blogger who's. Exactly. <laughs> like, well. Exactly. But, um, but it was a great experience for me. Because I, you know, it was a show that I never thought I would be on. Never had any like ambition to be on. Yeah, you know, I was just a stand-up. That's all I wanted to do. That's why I tell people that are getting to stand-up now. I say, you know, don't just, you know, close in stand-up. You know, keep keep an open mind. You know, maybe sure. take some writing courses. You know, get a job on a writing staff of a sitcom, and you know, take some acting classes. You know, because you know, open up your avenues. Because you don't, you don't, you know, you don't want to be in a Holiday Inn when you're 70 in Pacoima. Yeah, you know, doing a ha ha chuckle factory. <laughs> How did uh, Hans and Franz come about? 
Um, this was the second season of SNL. Uh-huh. Dana Carvey, myself, and Dennis Miller, we were on tour. We were doing a, a little SNL tour, like they, the first summer after our first season on the show. I mean, is that some of the, the coolest like road gigs you've ever oh, done? Oh, it was fun. With, I videotaped it, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, way back then I videotaped it, and I have all these videotapes of our... Our tours, Travolta even came to one of our shows. We flew back on his jet, you know. <laughs> and like um, first season, right after first season, you're like, this is insane. What's happening? We're on Travolta's jet. I we're know, touring with I buddies know. across the country. I know. That was fun. But we were in Des Moines, Iowa, I think, and we're staying at a Red Lion. Inn, and I was watching uh, Showtime up close and personal. And they were interviewing Arnold. And they say, Arnold, what do you do when you come into town? He goes, well, you know, first thing I do, I like to get into slip into the nice light cotton uh, shirt that I brought with me. I go out in the town. You know, something like that. And then I get back, when I get back to the hotel, I slip into the nice light cotton sheets. You know, so I called Dana's room. I said, Danny, you got to watch Arnold on Showtime. It's so funny, his accent. So we watched it together. And for the rest of the tour, we were just talking like him, you know. And the, the beginning of the next season, we came up with the Hans and Franz characters. Because I used to live in Germany, so I kind of knew all the, like, the, the names. And, and, um, and we thought, they're just two bodybuilders that were just so, like, uh, proud of themselves and would berate everybody else, but never actually did any work themselves. You know, <laughs> they were pathetic losers, basically, you know. <laughs> Most of the characters on SNL, when you think about it, are pathetic losers. Oh, yeah. If you, yeah, if you think about it real hard. Yeah. Like, like it's overconfidence. That's yeah. That's like compensating for that's stuff. That's right. Yeah. That's right. very delusional. Two wild and crazy guys. Yeah. Is, you know, they good think they're going to get laid all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's basically how we came up with that. And then we did it once on, on SNL, and it had a nice kind of a, it wasn't a recognizable thing because nobody's seen the characters before, but they were, you know, appreciative. And then we let it go for a while. And I said, Dana, we should do Hans and Franz again, you know. And we wrote up another one. And when we came out, the place went crazy. They loved the characters. It was funny how to watch uh, the popularity of characters evolve in that show. Yeah. Because you really have to trust it and, and give it at least a second chance. Do you think that the writing has changed a lot over the years? Like where I feel like uh, on the air of SNL that you were on, it was very stand-up driven. Compare, I don't know, like there's a lot more, like in the actual physical cast, if you look like, oh, that guy's a stand-up, that guy's a stand-up, that girl, you know, like you go down the line versus now, I feel like it's a little bit heavier on the improv and sketch side. They're, I feel like yeah. maybe currently they're balancing out a little bit more with stand-ups, but... I honestly don't even know the cast that's on there now. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't um, watch it that often. I tape it all the time, though, in case I get time to watch it or something sure. happened that I hear about, you know. Yeah. But um, I'm sure they're all good. But, yeah, I mean, there was times when, you know, like, Fred Armisen was a stand-up, Peter. Um, yeah, our cast, um, they hired our cast uh, just based on chemistry. Like, Lauren knew that I, I was friends with Dana. Interesting. And we got along well. And we yeah. kind of jammed a lot with comedy and and I was dating Jan Hooks, and we all kind of knew Dana knew Jan, I knew Jan, you know. So that was, I think, more of a chemistry-based kind of uh, composition there. And um, so I don't know uh, if there are a lot of stand-ups on the show right now. But comedy comedy changes all the time, even in the clubs. You know, you see the evolution of comedy and, um, you know, the way um, it's constructed now. You know, it's not so much setup and punchline anymore. It's more right. attitude. Totally. <clears throat> I think attitude. I think we're getting a phone call right now. I think uh, one of your old cast member buddies uh, on the show, Adam Sandler, is calling in right Are now. Are you kidding me? Hey, uh, Kevin, how you doing? Hey, Sam, man, what's up, buddy? Hey, how's they're uh, putting you in another Netflix movie? What do you think about that? Are you feeling all right? You sound a little sick. <clears throat> hey, 
sorry. I had to clear my voice a little bit, but uh, I'm doing better now, Kevin. Oh, that's good, man. That's good. You sound much better now. Uh, yeah, so uh, what was that about a Netflix movie? Yeah, um, yeah. you said you had a, a project you wanted me to join or something. No, 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 no. Um, I asked if you had some free time. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want to play some hoops or something? No, no, I was just curious if you had free time. You seem like you're working a lot. Yeah, you know, I just signed another eight-picture deal with uh, Netflix, and uh, it was ain't about putting you in a role or something, maybe. <laughs> That's so nice of you, man. Uh, we might do Happy Gilmore, too. Uh, Feel the flow. Harness the good. Block the bad. Circular. Circular. Send the ball home, Happy. Put it in its place. Bags are packed. Just put it on the plane. All right, I'll try, okay. Put a diamond. Goes around and around. Circular. Well, uh, it's, it's good to catch up with you, Kevin. Yeah, and, you too. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a Happy Gilmore 2 together. What All do you right, say? buddy, that sounds good. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Kevin. That's funny. That I love should... that character that, that you play in. in uh, yeah. The, the, uh, harness, block, bad. Kid. Harness, good, block, bad. <laughs> that was all kind of improvised and just kind of It felt very like free flow. Yeah, like yeah. you in the moment. Just like, that's yeah. always, do you enjoy being on set whenever they're like, hey, just go. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's always fun. It's always nice, right? That's why it was fun to do Curb Your Enthusiasm. I did a guest spot on there once. Oh, man, I bet. And, and once you do that show, it's tough to go back to a scripted show. You get spoiled real quick, oh, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was You're so like, wait, fun. You just want to just, just get a riff right here? Yeah. You just get to go back and forth? And you get a lot of laughs and stuff. And then you go back to your job that's all scripted. I was doing weeds at the time. And I thought, oh, so we got to follow these right. words here, right? Well, that's what's funny about anytime you're doing improv is, is uh, like if you're doing like different like wild lines or takes on, on set or whatever and you're riffing new stuff every time you're sometimes killing on these takes but then you get it back to the edit bay and you're like oh they're laughing because it was literally new like it was something yeah, yeah yeah but it's it's so fun to just like keep doing different it is. stuff every single time i'm doing a show now with matt leblanc called um man with a plan it's on yeah, cbs yeah and um it's all scripted you know it's, it's multi-camera in a studio with an audience but there was one scene where I was feeling a little cocky. And I said to the uh, creators of the show, hey, you mind if we just improvise uh, one take on this one? And they <laughs> said, um, I said, well, just do it. Just try it once. And then we throw it away. You know, it's just, I was feeling really funny and yeah. creative, you know? Yeah. And we're sitting down, we're eating food. And I had French toast. And I was sitting with uh, my 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 uh, TV wife, Kali Roach. Rocha. Roca. Oh, God, I'm going to get her last name wrong. Kali. But anyway, I said, Kelly, let's improvise. And she had a look of horror on her face. And um, so they started rolling the cameras. They said, action, go. And I had just taken a big bite of French toast and I couldn't get anything out. I was just chewing. I was chewing. And she was just sitting there and she had to do all the, uh, and it was horrible. To this day, we laugh about it because she said something like, do I smell beans? I love beans. <laughs> It was the worst. I was so embarrassed after that. Never have I asked again. Like, since the uh, master improviser, Kevin Nealon, uh, yeah. wants to do some more improv. <laughs> yeah. Well, so much for having confidence. Yeah. Uh, this next segment brings us to fanning out. Fanning out. Questions from fans. I reached out to people on Instagram and Twitter and asked, if you could ask Kevin Nealon any question, what would it be? And we got a, we got a few questions here. Uh, coming from at Jarrett D. Nez on Instagram. What's your favorite Gary Shandling moment? There was a lot of favorite Gary Shandling moments. We were good friends for a long time. I think maybe spending time in Hawaii with him. Or the moment is 
him picking up the phone and not getting his answering machine and him saying, what are we going to do? That's the opening line. Cause I would always say that to him. What am I going to do, Gary? What am I going to do? You know, it just kind of summed up your whole feeling of life at that time. <clears throat> so he'd see it was me from the caller ID and he'd go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So those were my, you know, favorite memories. Just thinking back on them. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, this comes from at Cameron Caps on Instagram. Love at Cameron Caps. Kevin has some of the best crowd work I've ever seen. How long did it take to develop? Well, I have my own crowds. You know, yeah, so you always, there is well, a, you always load in your own crowds. Yeah, of course. I mean, crowds. As, you know, any, big, any bigger yeah. stand-up comedians do. Absolutely. You prep them, you plant them. Prep them, wash them. Oh, yeah. Feed them. They are nurtured to me. I yeah. nurture, I've been nurturing them for years. Yeah. So those are like custom crowds. So it's kind of unfair to say I do cr good crowd work because it's all kind of it's set kind up. It's kind of a big traveling band at some point, you know? Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And we go, you know, I have buses for them and some of the better ones we put in trains, you know, get them there sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, the crowd work just comes with just, you know, being a stand up and being and working in bad clubs. Being and super talented. And super talented, <laughs> late night spots. You know, you born with it. It's not Maybelline. It's he's born with it, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, at Josh Medag Medaglia, uh, what's your favorite scene from Weeds? And do you really smoke real ganja on set? No, no. If you smoke real ganja, there'd be no show. Because people would just be too, too much nonsense. tired and nonsense. Yeah. 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 Uh, favorite moment. And there was a lot of great moments for me on that. Uh, probably, um, probably the um, autoerotica asphyxiation scene where people thought I was going to hang myself, suicide, <laughs> because I was lamenting about a lot of things. And then when it got down to it, you saw that I was um, participating in the autoerotica asphyxiation. <laughs> Doug Wilson. Now, do you are you uh, uh, erotic association guy? Yeah. Do you? No. Um, is that one of your hobbies? Or, uh... No, no. It's just purely for a profession. Profession. I was gonna, yeah. I was going to ask you if you, if you, uh, if you smoke weed very often. No. 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 Well, you're I, a weed guy, though, right? No, I, I'm not. You're not. You know, it's funny. Is uh, this this podcast is uh, sponsored by a weed company, Speedweed? They like deliver marijuana around LA and I always give it to my guests if they, if they want on the way out. But, uh, yeah, I've actually never smoked before. You've never smoked. Well, yeah, no, I never smoked or drank before. Never drank. Uh, -uh. you don't drink at all. Mm -mm. Coke. Only Coke. It's Coke and heroin. <laughs> this is just a nose for Coke. It's funny. I see those billboards around town. Like we'll drive the weed to you. Yeah. I mean, it's like how much more lazy does a pot smoker have to be, you know? <laughs> Well, I'm now you can get food delivered, you can get yeah. weed delivered, yeah. and I mean, Amazon, you could get Amazon? products delivered to you. Yeah, you can get sex doll delivered, you, you don't have to leave your... And you know what? It's not so bad being, um, you know, in a wheelchair these days. You get everything, yeah, everything that comes delivered. to you. Yeah. <laughs> the ramps delivered That's to you. That's not true. It's not true, guys. I'm very grateful. <clears throat> uh, this next uh, question comes from at Boop Decals. How was it on set filming Grandma's Boy, and will we ever see a sequel? I don't know that you'll ever see a sequel, but it was fun. Those guys were all great, you know, um, a lot of laughs, a lot of waiting around. I'm, I'm thinking back now, um, Nick Swartzen was hilarious. Um, Jonah Hill, 
um, Florence Henderson. Mm -hmm. Wow, she oh, yeah. it was amazing hanging out with her. And you you would think she was like from a fraternity, you know? <laughs> she was a little uh, sailor esque <laughs> when it came to the the cursing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, that was, it was so funny. That was one of those movies when um, I had heard only a few friends talking about it whenever it came out, like in theaters. Yeah, but when it hit DVDs, I remember. Every friend I knew was like, have you seen Grandma's Boy? Yeah, because people didn't have to go to the movie theater. The people that watched it want to stay home and have it delivered to them with Stoners. Netflix. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can deliver to my house. I'll watch it. Yeah. No, Bring some so food. I remember going to uh, Blockbuster and uh, and getting that on DVD and renting it and being like, this movie's amazing. I'll have to watch it again. I'll have to watch that <laughs> it's again. It's a fun one. It's a fun yeah, one. Yeah, your, yeah. Your, uh, your character in that is, is super fun. Uh... At Jeff Bassman, do you sit down to write or record into your phone? What's your writing process? Uh, I keep notes on my phone mm -hmm. during the day. If I think it's something, I'll write it on my phone. And then I'll um, try uh, try it when I get on stage somewhere. Or I'll, you know, I don't sit down and write that often. I should, but I don't. If I have something coming up, I will. You know, like a special corporate gig or, yeah. you know, a funeral or something like that, <clears throat> a memorial. But otherwise, no. It's just, um, my material kind of comes from just conversations with people, you know, or something happens, you know, like I was just talking to somebody this morning and they were talking about psychics, you know, and people that can kind of communicate. Communicate. To the, uh, and, um, and she was talking about some psychic who prepares you for death, you know, when you're about to die they'll kind of talk to you and tell you about the other side and all that stuff, you know? And I said, well, that's sort of like the Ellis Island of psychics, you know, <laughs> you, know? you have to right. go through her to get into the, yeah. So I thought, you know, I wrote that down. I thought I should expound on that and maybe kind of talk some more about that. A psychic broker. Yeah. Listen, you're not going to want to go to that, that, uh, psychic over there. Um, mm -hmm. you're going to want to give me a little bit of a cut because I, I know what she might be saying. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you waste might your like time the results her. a little bit more. If you go mm -hmm. to that girl mm -hmm. on the corner over there, New Orleans back alley. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Are we talking psychic or streetwalker? Oh no, psychic. Okay, psychic. Yeah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, at Robbie Goodwin, how much did you collaborate with Sandler? Got any good Norm stories? <laughs> <laughs> That's always the two-parter, right? Um, did not collaborate much with uh, with Sandler. You know, Sandler and Spade and. Um, <clears throat> Tim Meadows and Chris Rock, they had an office on the other side. They came later after us on SNL. Yeah. So they they made them an office. It was like a little duplex office on the other side of the wing that we were at. So you had to walk down the hallway and go through the writers, like the uh, where we did the table reads and down another hall to get to their office. And they were kind of like, it was kind of like the dorm there, you know, the college dorm. Right. You know, they had crap everywhere on the floor and it was a mess. Playboy magazines everywhere. Chris Rock had a clean office, you know, with Malcolm X posters on it and stuff. But those guys, like Farley, Spade, Sandler, and Tim Meadows, they were just kind of Is it porn on the floor? It was just, you know, like porn magazines That's and so stuff. That's so funny. Yeah. And, um, Welcome to work, okay? Yeah, to pick your, uh, as you sit, <laughs> wait for... Uh... But Sandler would write some really good uh, sketches for me on that show, you know, that he included me in. Uh, like El Bis uh, uh, what was it called? Um, Bellissimo Restaurant, I think it was called. Oh, I'm man. I'm not sure. Maybe with, um, yeah. Yeah, where, where all the waiters were hitting sketch. on my date. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
And then there's a ski lift one. Yeah, bellissimo. Yeah. And then, you know, when we do movies now, we kind of, we ad lib a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of mesh a little bit. Most, But mostly he's doing the writing. It's like you and, and Kirstie Alley. Is that Kirstie who Alley, yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. sketch. Yeah, that's... Mwah, mwah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Norm, uh, what was the question about Norm? Any good Norm stories? Oh, Norm stories. Uh, not really. Oh, yeah, well, we went golf to golf school once in um, Palm Springs. I said, hey, Norm, you want to go check out because he likes to golf. And he's horrible like me. And he and I go, yeah, I'll go. So we go out there. And um, all the way out there, he's listening to Johnny Cash. He's got his leg out the window. He doesn't drive. And uh, we get there. I got to wake him up the next morning. <laughs> he can't find his shoes. You know, it's like having a kid in college, you know, you're yeah. taking care of. Yeah. And then we get to the driving range and he's arguing with the instructor about the right way to hit the ball. We're looking at the videos afterwards. No, I did that right. I did that right. No, Norm, you didn't. <laughs> I said, Norm, listen to He's the instructor. Yeah, the, the backstory. Yeah. 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 Oh, Cocat or something. It's the instructor. That's what he's calling the, the, the instructor. I don't know, something like that, you know. I think uh, I think that instructor is actually calling in uh, to the show right now. Uh, nice. Uh, hello? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this uh, Kevin Nealon here? Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a, a bit of an issue to, uh, to ask you about that uh, happened a few years back. Uh, Go ahead. Golf course. Go ahead. You and your buddy, uh, Norm McDonald. Yes, sir. Tried to put me in my place. Now, are you golf aficionados that I am not aware of? Because Norm seemed to think that the backstroke should be at a full 170 degrees. And I don't know where he got that information from. Well, I can tell you where he got that from. That that was a, uh, he was on the swim team in high school. And he thought you were talking about the backstroke and swimming. And that's definitely 175, 170, a good 170 degrees arm stroke. Now, if you could come back maybe to the golf course, I could give you a proper instruction because that is completely wrong. Well, I can't get Norm because he's teaching golf now. He's an instructor himself now. Norm McDonald is yes, teaching sir. golf. Yes, and he's teaching the 170 degree uh, rule in the back, back, back I swing. I think Norm is actually trying to call in right now. Is hello, oh, Norm? Heard. Are you patching in too? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, Norm's going golf. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I was just telling uh, the guy we wanted to see in Palm Springs that you got your own school of golf now. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know any people who want to uh, yeah, sign up or anything like that? Well, I haven't asked, but I'll check around. You still teaching that 170 backswing? 170, uh, 170 backswing, uh, cha-cha-ching. Nice, baby, nice. The, the moneymaker is, uh, I guess, is what you call Okay, uh, uh, you need a license to teach golf, actually, and uh, I'm going to check in with the authorities and make sure that your license is removed immediately, Norm. Okay, uh... Well, I don't think it's the authorities. I think it's more of the officials that he's going to check in with. Yeah, this guy doesn't even know his own terminology here. What kind of a teacher could he be? I'm going to have to side with Norm on this one. I think uh, I think that that guy's a little bit bitter that Norm's going to put him in his possibly. place. Anyway, I think we're going to have to let uh, the two of you go, but thank you for calling it. Yeah. Okay, all right. See you later. Good to hear from you, Norm. Anyhow, um... It was strange that that guy held on to that memory for so long that it has been bugging him. That yeah. Norm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
at Drew Pack 209. Uh, he wants to know about the bathroom scene with Dean and Doug uh, eating pills and measuring dicks. In weeds. Yeah, in weeds. Well, what's, what more is there to know? Uh, he's like, did you write that? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> or I didn't. have something to do with maybe ad-libs or something. I guess he's a, a fan of that scene. Well, we always kind of embellish the scenes mm-hmm. on on weeds. You know, we'd bring some things to it or, and suggest them. Yeah. But um, that one, um, I'm not sure. Maybe some dental floss kind of, uh, I can't remember. But yeah, we do we do sometimes embellish the scenes. But it's mostly really good writers on that show. So you didn't really mess with the script. Do you have a preference? Like, because you pretty much, as far as like entertainment goes, like format of shows you've done... Uh, like multicams, right? Yeah. Single yeah. cams. You've done live sketch, yeah. and then you've done movies. Do you yeah. have a preference, or no, are I, they I, all literally just I, different I, and fun in different ways? I think if you had to do just one all the time, it could get a little boring. So I feel fortunate that I'm able to do all those different. And things. you can do stand up, which is nice. Stand up, yeah. I'm, I'm able to write. You know, I wrote a book, and uh, yeah. I write scripts, mm-hmm. and um, I do the acting and stand up, and some tour guiding sometimes. You know, so I get out there. You know, it's a nice... Weren't uh, you, like, were you a mayor or something? Of- I was the honorary mayor of the Pacific Palisades <laughs> for the last two years. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I recently turned it over to Billy Crystal and his wife. So my wife works in that area of town sometimes, and when she saw your name up around town, she's, she asked me about it. She's like, this can't be <laughs> like the Kevin that you know, right? And I was like, I think it is actually. Like, yes. I, th- I think he's actually... And then she looked into it. She's like... She came home from work. She's like, no, it's actually Kevin Nealon, who is an honorary mayor of the Pacific Palisades. I like, like the way she said, her mind. my name is up around there. Like there's billboards everywhere. <laughs> she said she saw it around. I don't know it's, how. There's probably on a flyer or something. Maybe like it was a flyer. Maybe, a fundraiser. Some, maybe somebody has a, one of those classic yards on somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Maybe she yeah, saw it somewhere. Uh, let's have a couple questions, then we'll do this, uh, the final sax talk segment. Um this is an interesting one. At WDL26, did you ever tell jokes in the huddle when you were the quarterback at Fairfield? No. Never joked around. Straight? Yeah. Um, but Straight other people would point. be kidding in the, mm-hmm. in the huddle. You know, like somebody would say, okay, I'm going to square out to the right. Okay, throw the ball. I said, are you kidding? <laughs> you got to take those sports seriously. Are you a competitive guy? Um. Yeah, and some things I'm competitive, but I, I like to have fun and play too. I don't have to win all the time. When I was younger, yeah. I was more competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, you know, if there's a challenge out there, I want to win. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't mind losing. My, my son is 11 now, but when he was around six or seven, we played like Mario Kart Brothers. Yeah. And whenever he lost, he would start crying. You know? So sometimes I would like <sighs> try to lose on purpose so he wouldn't cry, but I'd accidentally win and he'd drop the controller. He'd so cry. I would, I was that kid i would get so i'd get more like angry like frustrated like oh yeah I was like, we're playing again we're playing oh we're yeah. playing again yeah. like i gotta Just brush yourself off get up yeah. do it again no it's fine no yeah. no it's uh it's cool <laughs> but you know at that age you know like he'll play t-ball and he'll get out at first base and he'll, he'll come crying over to me because he got out yeah. you know but now he's become quite uh quite an athlete become, and really good he's at become quite the good crier he's uh yeah. he's trained to be a professional uh <laughs> yeah he's a great whiner <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, a lot of times uh, the repetition of losing losing <laughs> yes. makes you quite better at stuff. I mean, yeah. that's the whole ideology Rejection. between stand-up. That's yeah. Hollywood, yeah. I mean, that's literally uh, like getting up all the time and, mm-hmm. and, and bombing. I've gotten really good at bombing, um, 
but then now I call it gracefully bombing where it's never truly a bomb bomb anymore. Yeah. You kind of know like it's not going to be, you can't entirely dig yourself out sometimes, but you can, you can gracefully leave the it's stage. It's all about confidence, like, you know, it's confidence and yeah. believing yourself. Even if you're bombing, you believe in yourself saying, well, it's not my, it's not my yeah, uh, this is This fault. is the room. What's, yeah. This yeah. crowd, obviously. And believe me, it is the crowd sometimes. Oh no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have definitely experienced yeah. that where I'm just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like given everything I got and I'm just like, oh, they're just, they're tired or, or whatever. Or, I guess, you know, it is 145 whenever yeah, I'm going yeah, up yeah. right now. <laughs> you don't expect a whole vaudevillian show. Um, who, uh, this is from Sean Bagels on Twitter. Uh, who are some of your favorite guests you've had on your hiking show? You do a really cool uh, Hiking oh, with yeah, Kevin show. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Hiking with Kevin, it's called. It's on uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Kevin Nealon Comedy. I've had so many great, I can't say there's one favorite one because everybody's, everybody's you know, it's been an eclectic group. I mean, you know, I've had everyone from Conan O'Brien to Adam Sandler, Tiffany Haddish, um, Owen Wilson, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You know, all the, I mean, such a great, um, I've done 31 hikes and, um, and now I'm starting a second season now. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to bank some of the hikes now, so I'm not doing it week to week on like, you know, last minute trying to get people. Yeah. It's sometimes hard. Yeah. I got to get the honorary mayor of the Palisades to come all and hike right. with me, you know? So, um, so I've been excited about that, but yeah, I'm glad they like the show. And it's funny, you know, it's fun to watch a show evolve and get popular. I mean, this happened with weeds. I, I would do the clubs, you know, wherever I was in the country and I'd say, have you guys seen weeds yet? You get a smattering of applause second year. You guys see weeds, more applause and then more and more, you know, people were loving it. And it's the same with this hiking thing. You know, at first it was like kind of smattering and now it's a lot of people. I'd say about a third of the room has typically seen the hiking show. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really unique take on a talk show format because it's also very, what I like about it, it it's taking a lot of times you have comedians or actors that you're not seeing them in that element ever. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's very uh, uh, humanizing to see you guys just walking around and it's, it feels like very relatable in a very interesting way where you're like, ah, I did a hike last, you know what I mean? That yeah. whole thing where you're like, oh yeah, because sometimes you forget, um, I feel like being around in Hollywood that these people are people that exist outside of the shows that they work on and the movies and stuff. Yeah. So it's cool to just like see you guys kind of just shooting it with each other and being like, oh yeah, there's, you know, uh, uh, like oh oh yeah I've been on this hike before like I go here with my my yeah. kids or my family or yeah it's yeah. like when you're watching a golf uh, you know tournament and you've golfed in the course before you go, oh I know this hole yeah right? I know this hole but the funny thing about a golf uh, hiking with people is and I've noticed this from you know when I've just hiked normally I like to hike I'm not like a huge hiking guy but I like to hike in the canyons to get some exercise around L A but when you're walking by people the conversations you pick up. You know, various people and people, I think when they're outside like that walking there, there's an endorphin or something that happens where they want to talk and they're much more open about things. And that's why I think this show is working so well for me is people are, are, are happy to talk. And when you're walking in the fresh air and talking, you just are in this stream of thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just did a hike with my wife, uh, in the Calabasas area. I forget where it was exactly. It was some... Some hike uh, with like uh, river rocks and stuff like that. Um, but the conversations I heard that 
that were undocumented of just strangers walking by and like, yeah, I don't know. My agent just like won't close the deal. Like, like yeah, know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you yeah. hear stuff that you pick up and I'm like, oh, the, like I, uh, I'm yeah. trying to get away from, yeah. from that on this hike. But like you still hear Hollywood crosstalk like and chatter in the background. I heard this couple, I must've been a married couple. They're, they passed me. And I heard the guy say to the, uh, the wife sheepishly, honey, you think it's okay if I golf tomorrow? <laughs> the wife said that to the no, husband? No, no, the guy said it to the oh, wife. The <laughs> Do you think it's okay? My uncle, uh, uh, he's like uh, been an amateur golfer his entire life and done a bunch of different tournaments and stuff. And uh, he's like, uh, he told my now aunt, uh, she, uh, the day they, before they got married, he's like, nothing changes with my golf uh, whenever we get married. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the day after they got married, uh, he goes, uh, he's getting dressed early, early in the morning, like six o'clock in the morning, right after they just got married the night before. She goes, yeah. where are you going? He goes, uh, oh, I'm going to the golf course. And she goes, but I thought, uh, you know, since it was, he goes, nothing changes with my golf. <laughs> and he went, he went, he went the day after they got married, so... Yes, some people are big, big fans of their routine. This brings us to our final segment, Sax Talk. Oh, Sax Talk. Nice. Oh, yeah. What does a sax cost? Well, this, this one is... What's funny is I just found out that this is not as expensive of of a sax as I thought. um, Because... uh, I paid for this uh, as a kid. I used to rent this saxophone, oh. and I took lessons with it. And then I found out recently. I looked it up, and uh, it's a student model saxophone. <laughs> so this one's under. I think this one's under a thousand dollars since it's like used. And uh, but yeah. I, I used to think that. I mean, I've always treated this thing like it was three, five grand that was uh, hanging around my neck, but. Uh, not the case, <laughs> I found out. But yeah, no. a good professional saxophone costs in the thousands. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Because it's solid gold, right? It's solid gold. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, the vibrations and the vibranium that comes out of it mm. it, 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 it to, to execute the melodic uh, notes that enter the, the orifice of the ear holes uh, have to be very specific and dialed in. So Kevin is going to share a story of a sexual encounter and I'm going to play some sweet, sweet saxophone underneath. Nice. Now, so this isn't like, you know, a crazy sex story, but it was like um, coming of age. So this is a coming of age sort of sexual story. It was a few days before Halloween. I went on a hay wagon ride with this girl that I really liked and I never really dated before or made out with somebody. And, um, we're on the hay wagon ride and we're going along. Everybody's happy and it starts to get dark and soon people are starting to branch off neck a little bit. And they're, you know, getting, getting into it. And I was sitting with this girl still talking and I see, we both see, it's very obvious that everybody is kind of branching off and, uh, doing their thing. And it, made, and, and it got to the point where I thought, I got to kiss her. I can't just sit there and watch everybody making out, you know? And so I kind of, you know, got my nerve up and, um, and I went in to kiss her. And I closed my eyes to go kiss her and I missed her mouth. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was kissing her eye. 
And I remember I still have my eyes closed and I'm kissing her eye and I could feel the hairs from the eyelashes on my lips. And I'm thinking, oh my God, she's got like a mustache or something maybe, you know? And, um, and she wasn't, I don't know if she was fighting me or what, or, I mean, I was just so determined to kiss her. And then I felt the eyebrow hitting my nose and I thought, man, this is like the crazy, those nose hairs maybe. And, um, that lasted maybe 20 seconds. And then I pulled away and I saw that I had kissed her eyeball and she couldn't open her eye. Like it was like, because we had just like eaten cotton candy or something on and she had all kinds of like sugar and stuff in her eyeball. And I was really embarrassed, man. I was so embarrassed. And, um, uh, we had to just kind of ride it out for the rest of the, the trip. Another 10 minutes while everybody else made out and I had to help her with her eye. Never saw her again, but I think she has like five kids now. All came out of her eye socket. That was great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, man. I like how long you were kissing the eye before it registered like, yeah. oh, I'm nowhere near home base. Yeah, I'm not even close. I'm not even close. <laughs> she must have slouched down a little bit, you know, when I went in, when I, after I closed my eyes, because I knew where my target was and I just missed it. We did one of these where you, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that lean forward. Well, Kevin, dude, thank you so much for, thank you. Uh, for, for doing the show. Um, uh, always love seeing you around the comedy scene. You're one of those guys that, uh, uh, <laughs> sounds silly. I get happy every time, uh, you come up cause I know that, uh, a good riff session is about <laughs> to be BSers coming up. Yeah. A good BSer. Yeah. Is yeah. A, a fellow BSer, a BS well, artist is my dad calls it. Likewise. I feel the same about you. I love your enthusiasm and how, uh, not ambitious, but how much you enjoy doing what you're doing. Thanks man. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to plug uh, before you go or anything? Not much. Just watch Hiking no. with Kevin, guys, and Man yeah. with a Plan Man on CBS. CBS, yeah. And, uh, Monday nights. And uh, go uh, go back and watch uh, some of uh, Kevin's amazing uh, SNL moments. Right. And, and uh, Happy Gilmore, and the, the list just goes on and on. It goes on and on and on and on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.